I'm your host, Andy McGrath. Today's guests are Jan and Jenna from the She Squatchers, uh, the Midwest's first all-female team searching for Bigfoot. Their quest is to gather information, obtain credible evidence of Bigfoot, and ultimately establish contact and peaceful interaction. The team consists of a missing person psychic medium, animal communication reviewer, uh, Department of Natural Resources professional, and Native Americans. They're based uh, primarily in Minnesota, North Dakota, and they investigate Bigfoot sightings in the American Midwest. So, hello to my lovely friends. How are you? Great to see you. Oh, hey. wonderful. Wonderful seeing you, too. I miss you. <laughs> I miss you guys, honestly. I mean, I've looked for some similar characters here in London so, since I've got back, but I've, it's a no-go. I haven't found them. Right. You'll never find anybody like us. <laughs> no. No, it was, a, it was a fruitless and pointless exercise. To begin well, with. I tell you. I tell you what, you made our time at that event so much fun. <laughs> well, I was going to say actually that a lot of people, uh, a lot of people I noticed back there were were very attracted to your store and your characters, and you always had a little little group around you. Maybe not um, buying things. I had that similar experience, but lots of chatty Cathy's to, to keep us company. Now, I do have some questions for you. I do want to know all about how you do things. Uh, but to start off, for both of you, maybe you can both answer this individually. Yeah, I think for everyone uh, involved in our crypto crazy world, there's a jumping off point that leads to this obsession. So what started you both off on this journey? Jen, go ahead. Well, well Andy, I have been doing uh, radio for quite a few years now, and uh, I was actually had a paranormal radio show, and I scored an amazing interview with Lauren Coleman. And for those who don't know who that is, he's the cryptozoologist uh, who has the Bigfoot Museum in the state of Maine in America. And so I actually didn't know much about Bigfoot when I interviewed him. Uh, and to be honest, I didn't believe in Bigfoot at all. But I recognize a great interview when I see one. So I was really excited to have him. As I was interviewing him for the show, I was so impressed by the things that he was sharing with me. And the passion that he had on the subject was just, I don't know what the word is. It was catchy. <laughs> <laughs> contagious yeah. and uh he thought that the recipe for success in looking and finding bigfoot would be to send women into the woods without men dogs or guns and he thought that that bigfoot would naturally be attracted to coming in closer to get a better look at women for quite a few reasons one of them being that he feels that uh, women have a better rapport with the great apes because of you know, examples like Jane Goodall and her work with the chimpanzees. And he thinks that the the men, human men, have a pheromone that the great apes just don't like. And so he figured that would also perhaps also extend to Bigfoot, that they wouldn't like the pheromone that men give off. Uh, and 
there was another reason. Uh, he said that a lot of the sightings that people have along the roadsides, uh, you never see a family unit of Bigfoots crossing mm -hmm. the road. You usually just see one singular younger male who's probably outstretching his legs and going all the places he's not supposed to go, breaking all the rules. And he felt that these younger male Bigfoots would naturally be attracted to checking out some women if there were no threatening things there with them like men dogs or guns so you know i jokingly said hey there big boy i'll volunteer for that <laughs> and, <laughs> but you know i was really just joking but by the end of the of this interview that i had with him i seriously volunteered i was all gung-ho to go out there and try wow. it so that's how we started it was all inspired by lauren coleman so and you're officially approved by the, the um, uh, I've been calling him the King of Kong. He's told me not to call him that, actually, because it means something <laughs> naughty, apparently. Uh, <laughs> so the King of Cryptozoology, the reigning king, anyway, at the moment, he's he inspired you. He stamped this with approval. He said, go, go do it. I don't know if he stamped us with approval, but he's the one who inspired it. Wow. <laughs> when we see him, we're always excited and... and uh... This, the last event that we saw him at, he was actually in a different room. They had two big rooms of, of tables where all the people were at. And he was in a different room, and I hadn't made it away from the booth to go see him yet. And he finally came over and brought his camera and asked if he could take pictures with us with our wow. background. And so, we were so excited about that, and he brought us a gift. Uh, so I, I felt like that was his little stamp of approval, that he was excited for yes. what we were doing. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Well, you know, how often do does does one make a suggestion and people just go ahead and, and make it a, a successful group out of it? That's that's a compliment, even for somebody like him. Um, and but, what about you, Jen? But, how did you how did you fall into this this crypto crazy world yourself? Oh boy, that's a good story actually. Jen and I have been friends for quite a long time, and she never really mentioned the she squatchers to me. But when she finally did mention it, she happened to tell me about their expedition that they went on and how they went out to the woods and what they were doing and what they felt and what they saw. And, you know, I just thought, oh, my gosh, I want to join this. And this is not only a group of girls that, you know, I'm looking for camaraderie with. This is also getting exercise and going to look for some truth that may not exist or may exist. And when I first started this, you know, started on this team, I was a complete skeptic, and I do have to say, after a lot of the different things that we've seen so far, it's teetering the opposite. So, wow. I mean, it's you know, it's for me, it's uh, it, it's a similar journey actually. And some I some days I wake up and I'm going on an all night investigation tomorrow night actually, where there's been a recent sighting, and I think, am I really going looking for Bigfoot in the British Isles? Like, am I an idiot? And then, uh, then I talk to a witness and they're so compelling and I think, well, okay, so, you know, either this very sane, normal person is an amazing liar or a real fool for thinking that some person she or he has seen is a Bigfoot uh, or there's something to it and you know, there's something there. Now, you mentioned Lauren talking about, or Jen mentioned Lauren talking about women being uh, perhaps better suited for bringing in Sasquatch. Have you, have you guys um, had any experiences like that interacting with Bigfoot? Has his, um, his concept been demonstrated to you yet? 
Absolutely. You know, we, we always say we're, we're doing the all female Bigfoot experiment. And what would that be without occasionally going out with some guys to see how it's different? Mm. If it is different at all, right? So we have to try it both ways to see if there is a difference. And I'm telling you right now, there absolutely is. There absolutely is a big, a big difference. Mm. Um, our very first expedition, and again, I didn't believe in Bigfoot at the time. But <laughs> but I was open-minded to see if there was such a thing as Bigfoot. But I think sometimes people go out believing in Bigfoot already. So, I mean, here mm. I was a skeptic going out to see, well, I'm open-minded, they'll see. But I, I grew up in the woods in Minnesota. And, I mean, I was a country girl growing up in the woods. I was in the woods all the time. And I had never seen anything that would lead me to believe that there was such a thing as Bigfoot. But on our very first expedition, we went out during the daytime. And we were going to select the locations that we were going to come back to after the sun went down. And so um, I didn't get to tell you earlier, but added on to Lauren's idea of sending women into the woods without men, dogs, and guns, I added my own idea. Because I am a psychic medium, animal communicator, and remote viewer. I'm also an energy healer, so I feel energy as a physical sensation in my entire body. And so everything has its own energy frequency that, you, that I can sense on a physical level. It's a physical sensation as strong as if I were to shake your hand or, or shake your whole body, really. It's a whole body <laughs> sensation. And, <laughs> don't shake and me. so <laughs> don't shake <laughs> you. Uh, uh, so uh, when we went out and, and we went out during the day, we were stopping along this, this road that uh, there had been a sighting on this particular lake like within a month before that. And we didn't know exactly where all we knew was that it was at a boat launch, that somebody said it was at a public boat launch and there was only one boat launch listed on the maps. And when I looked at that, I was like, that just doesn't feel like the right place to me. I don't think that was the place, but it was the only boat launch listed. Well, I said, it makes more sense to me that Bigfoot would be on the other side of the lake where there are no homes and no people and no docks. I mean, that would just make the most sense to me. Well, we went driving on this road and it's called Reservation Highway 20. And let me tell you, this is a one car road. And if you meet wow. a car on there, good luck, because ah. one of you has to do some major backing up all the way to the front of the front of the road because uh, and that better not be me because I do not back up well. <laughs> I'm guessing there's no guardrail either. There isn't. And the trees are right up on this little gravel. Wow roadway and so it's only room enough for one car to traverse so it, they, they reason they call it reservation highway 20 i don't know it can't be a highway for real uh, it's more like a minimum maintenance road in my book so uh we, we were driving up there and we'd stop wherever i felt like this would might be a place of interest and uh there was one particular location that i marked on my gps coordinates that I wanted to return to because I felt this interesting energy feel there. It was my whole body vibrating at a frequency that I had not felt before. And so that got my attention. And although we didn't see any footprints there or anything else that would lead us to believe that Bigfoot might be there, just purely on the sensation of the energy, I marked that spot. And some of my other teammates were like, but we didn't find anything there. I'm like, don't care, I'm feeling something here. So <laughs> we're coming back tonight so but we did up the road um probably a few miles we found footprints on this gravel road and we all just walked right past them 
and something told me to turn around and look back and I, I turn around and look back and you can see this whole this whole stretchway of, of footprints it's not deep enough to cast anything mm. but they were huge and the stride wow. was was much more than i could even come close to doing when i would run next to them leaping and i'm the tallest person on the team i'm about five foot ten so i couldn't even come close as a running leap of, of matching that stride next to it now we you know we were not prepared to find anything on our first expedition we didn't have any casting material we didn't even have a, a tape measure i mean this is how much we did not expect to find anything and <laughs> we were totally unprepared for that uh but we returned later that night to that spot that felt that interesting energy at and upon getting out of the car i had my equipment ready in my hands uh, but the rest of my team had all of their equipment and packs in the back hatch of the vehicle. So when we got out of the car, one of my teammates handed me a FLIR thermal camera that she had borrowed from somebody else. She didn't know that it could take video. She thought it was just a camera that you'd click the trigger and take a picture. So that's what I knew about the camera as well. And so she handed it to me to play with until she got the rest of her equipment out the back. So I'm standing at the front of the vehicle and I'm scanning the woods and I'm looking for anything that's coming up as a thermal body heat. And all of a sudden I get to the, to the where I'm pointing it out in front of the car and there's something standing there coming up red and yellow on the thermal cam and it's shaped like a, a humanoid person. Mm. And so I immediately assume one of my teammates grabbed her gear and walked out in front of the car. That made the most sense, right? So I said, oh, who's in front of the car? nobody responded and I'm like hey who's in front of the car and nobody responded and I kept asking that question with more and more anxiety in my voice I guess and one of my teammates Marlo she heard me and she comes running up to the front to see what I was going on about and she looked in the direction that I was pointing this camera and she saw eyes and she said oh, I just saw eyes and so I look up from the screen to see if I see eyes and when I look back down, I can't find it anymore. I scanned wow. everywhere and could no longer find it. So this was just upon us getting out of the car there at dark. I mean, just all we did was get out of the car and there was something there. Wow. None of my teammates had been in front of the car. So then there was five of us that night and we go to uh, three of us. I was one of the three that were gonna walk into the woods to the left of the car and we start to walk into the woods a little bit and all of a sudden we hear this sound coming down through the trees, something falling. And here there's something falling in front of us about three or four feet and bouncing. And I'm like, what is that? And we're looking and here there were rocks, little rocks oh, about the size of a 50 cent piece to a American silver dollar size were being lobbed down at us through the trees and it wasn't like they were trying to hit us it was very obviously that they were not trying to hit us with these rocks but i just stopped and i was kind of in shock because i didn't even know that bigfoot was known for throwing rocks at that time i have as clueless about that i didn't know that that happened all i knew is that i'm in the state of minnesota where i grew up and spent my entire life in the woods and never before had anything thrown rocks at me before and I'm, I'm just sitting there watching these rocks come down and bounce in front of us and we're all just in kind of a shock and so then i opened my awareness because i i am a psychic medium and part of my ideas on this were can we find bigfoot with these with our extra senses uh -huh. maybe it's an unfair advantage um but it's our advantage you know we're not as sure. 
we're not as buff as a lot of these Bigfoot researchers that are going out into the woods and camping for weeks on end for <laughs> to going 20 miles in. You know, we don't do that. Uh, <laughs> we're going to use what we're what our skill set, which is our psychic abilities and our remote wow. viewing abilities and and sensing of energy to see if we can find Bigfoot that way. And it's been working really well for us, obviously. And <laughs> um, clearly, clearly. So, you know, when, when I opened my awareness to see what does it, what does this mean with the rocks being coming down at us? And I just felt very clearly they didn't want us to walk into the woods that way. So we stopped and we, we, we went back over and our other teammates had been standing in front of the car in the road. And so we decided, okay, we're going to go over to the right side of the car then. And one of our teammates did a Bigfoot whoop. Mm-hmm. And then we just waited to see, you know, what, what happened. And all of a sudden, something started walking towards us in the woods. You could hear wow. it very clearly, snapping big sticks, you know, as a, and it was bipedal, two feet walking. And just you could tell it was a very large something. Wow. And we've got all of our cameras trained at, the, at where the sound is coming from. And we've got night vision cameras, IR cameras. We've got, we've got uh, the thermal camera. And I think I call it a baby thermal camera because I think it's a lower end one and it's not, wasn't ours anyway, but, but regardless, it still was picking yeah. up body heat. Right. And, and we've got all these cameras and we can't see anything there wow. and it's still walking towards us. And the sound's getting picked up on all of our video. We can hear it on the video, but we can't see anything coming. Wow. And, um, and, and, and then all of a sudden it seemed like, it multiplied and there was some the same kind of sound was coming at us from different directions. And so now we felt like we're getting surrounded and what do we do? Uh, and we've never made a plan for what should we do if we feel like we're in trouble. But we circled up back to back facing out and I kind of looked at us for a moment and I thought, wow, look at us, good girls. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very, you know, this is smart. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I was kind of impressed with our automatic response to that um, because we hadn't made a plan for what we would do, but it just happened automatically. Good reflexes. I suppose it's a yeah. Fear instincts. Instinct. And, uh, you know, it just kept coming and, and we just kept looking to see can we see it? And, and, you know, I know a lot of Bigfoot researchers would say this is a big no no, but we turned on our big flashlights when our cameras and our night vision and thermal cameras were not working to see what's coming. We turned on our big Buku flashlights to light up the woods, and we still couldn't see anything there. Wow. And, you know, in Minnesota, where we were at, uh, most of the trees had been logged in the late 1800s or early 1900s by the settlers. And so the trees that were growing there, they were tall trees, but they weren't very wide. Mm-hmm. Not wide enough for something of a of, of large size could hide behind. Even a deer, if it was moving towards you, wouldn't be able to stay hidden from a thermal camera uh-huh. coming through the woods. So, you know, it just didn't make any sense to us. What what is going on here? And um, all of a sudden, one of my teammates said, Jen, do your tobacco thing. Well, here we were at, we were on an, a Native American reservation. And I am part Ojibwe. I'm part Native, Native American. I know I look very light skinned, but my mom's actually a, a member of the reservation. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> card carrying. She's very dark. I, I, no, no, that's, I have a, that's a very that's tall white father. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I, I can speak some Ojibwe. And I so I took tobacco out into my hand and I gave an offering. 
and I, I called out to the little people of the forest and I said, and basically thanking the little people. And then I called out to Bigfoot and I said, and as soon as I said, thank you, Bigfoot, which, you know, Jibwe, everything just stopped. Uh-huh. It didn't like go away. It, you didn't hear it retreating. You didn't hear it, anything coming forward. It just like, it just stopped. And then we just stood there. We didn't know what to do. And one of my teammates says, okay, well, hey, what if we go check out where we found those footprints today? (laughs) And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. So we jumped in the car and we left. (laughs) So, I mean, in hindsight, you know, there's probably a ton of other things I would have done differently, but that was our first time and we were so shocked. And to be quite honest with you, some of our teammates got in the car because they were terrified. Well, I think that's a very normal reaction, actually. And only probably one two experiences where I thought that something was definitely there and and what happens to you in that experience uh, that moment is that you suddenly think well okay this is it so if it's a creature and you've got to come face to face you're both individuals you have to make a decision about what to do in that situation I always say this to people actually so what's going to happen it's it's all up for grabs anything can happen and the normal reaction is to want to get the hell out of there mm-hmm I think that's perfectly normal. And I still feel that, actually. <laughs> I had an experience recently where I thought, okay, you, you know, I was up in um, in Scotland, and uh, I've mentioned this in the show a few times, actually, but I was up in some thick woods there near Loch Ness, and I thought I saw something. And then I hadn't heard anything for hours, and then I could hear sort of crunching through the trees and all this kind of stuff. Now, that's not exciting to me. I could have heard deer. I could have freaked myself out. But... um. The, the reality of the situation was I knew I was an hour and a half away from getting down from that little mountain on foot. And I had to reconcile this possible coming experience to myself. Do you want it? Because if it's not friendly, you've got an hour and a half to go to get out. And that's, I think that's the reality of it. Most people who go looking for animals like this don't think about what's going to happen if they find them. Um, and, and do they want to be in that situation? Were you, Jenna, were you there then as well? No, I wish I would have been there, but that was the, the first expedition. Now, that's what Jen was telling me about, and that's what made me want to go, okay, I want in. This is what I need to do. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in 2009, I, my, I basically died, and this is my second time around. So wow. the second time around, I've lost that fear kind of a thing and not not to make stupid choices but I've lost that fear to hold me back from things that may, I may have been scared to do before so now you know I get a, a chance to jump at something mm. exciting and new and I could be part of finding something that has never been proven before I mean paper you know what I mean it's never mm. been proven before so definitely I, I this is what made me jump so no I wish I would have been at that first one boy oh boy but I've been at every other one yeah so. no, that's amazing and what do you do on the expeditions or what's some what's your particular skills that what's your interest in the research where do you concentrate uh, where do I concentrate, uh, concentrate, concentrate on as far as uh, my your skills? What do you do with the expedition? Okay. Well, I, I hear, feel, and communicate with spirit. Um, I also run a lot of the equipment. Uh, Jen always says I'm fearless because, you know, and I always say, Jen, I'm not just fearless. you got to find something else to tell people about me, <laughs> you know, because 
you know, and I also, I'm, I'm psychic, but I don't like the word psychic. I, I actually, I, I call it receiver of information because yeah. I don't think psychic, it, it has so many negative connotations to it. So, you know, I feel that I'm a receiver of information, and when I get that information, whether it's it's uh, information or a message for someone who from someone who has passed to give to someone mm -hmm. else, or whether it's me helping a spirit cross over, it it comes to me when it, at the time that it's needed. So it's nothing that I sit and ask for. So I basically keep myself open and open to receive, and when it's time. I'm given whatever I need. It's put. It's put in front of me. So uh, definitely that. And then, like I said, I work with the equipment, and I love equipment. I have to stop myself from buying more because yeah. I just, yeah, you know. And and honestly, people don't need all that much equipment. You don't. So, you really don't. No. So don't be like me. Don't go out <laughs> and buy a bunch of crap. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the reverse actually, so because I'm. I'm terrible with technical equipment so I have like a oh. GoPro and a camera and I take my mobile and, and half the time I end up just getting out my mobile for like a little walk around you know a little walk around in the daytime and I just keep looking at the camera you go but why don't you crack these things out and have a look I'm just ah that's for that's for a setup this is a wonder yeah. um I don't know about you but I, with this psychic thing and I know that's not anything I haven't experienced with and you obviously you said you know a receiver of information would you say that's more of um would you describe it more like a spiritual instinct then uh that you're tying just things that are going on in the, the realm now i know that remote viewing is is mentioned with uh, part of the technique that you guys employ is that something you both do or is it just you jen um how do you employ these these skills together in this um area of research well i know that well, Jen, go ahead. Uh, I'm the I'm the main remote viewer, and I wondered if if I could teach others to do it. And I've been teaching Jenna to do it, and and she's learning. So when I start to see something, on uh, you know the way I'm remote viewing, I call it geographic remote viewing because I'm I'm pulling up satellite imagery or Google Earth, Google Maps to look at satellite imagery of locations, and I'm scanning them, asking, "Is Bigfoot here?" Is, is there any Bigfoot here or is there any Bigfoot evidence that we could collect here? And then what I see changes on the screen in reaction to what I'm asking. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that anybody else would see it, but after I taught Jenna what I'm looking for and to hold that awareness, looking for a response to that question, and I say, do you see anything here? And she can point out what I'm seeing. Wow. So, oh, so I, she is, it's right away too that I see that it's not like I have to sit and focus. You know, she's taught me very well. <laughs> yes, amazing. Yes. I mean, I, I'm just very interested in it because it's a very original research method. I've never heard of it before. And um, in fact, when Jen mentioned it to me at the conference, I do a lot of remote viewing. I thought that she had sort of some kind of online live access to game cams that she posted around these locations. I thought she's remote viewing. Of course she is. She's got this game cams up. This must be some great tech she's got. There she's remote viewing by her little game cams around the place. She said, no, I'm like, it's a, like a psychic thing. And um, it's not something I understand a lot about, but it was really, really different. I thought, oh, this is different. This is really original. Here they are out in the woods having some 
uh, I know premonition is the wrong word, but that's that's the only way I have to describe it. A premonition about the location that they should visit and going there and getting some results. I mean, that that's, sounds like a great format, really, for, for a show, if you ask me. <laughs> oh, thanks. We think yeah. so, too. Yeah. But, right? but to, to be honest with you, uh, I had been doing remote viewing for paranormal investigative teams for a few years. And the team that I was working the most with, I was actually living about three and a half hours drive away from. So I didn't get to go with them on location very often in person. But a lot of times they would give me the GPS coordinates of the location they were going to look at and investigate or an address. And I would remote view it and and ask all kinds of questions about the location. And um, what I would see on the the image would change and I would write down what I was seeing and it would respond to the questions that I asked. And we discovered that I was so accurate that I had a full belief in this ability when we started using it for Bigfoot. Because then I thought when we started to look for Bigfoot, I'm like, Mm. can I remote view the woods and find Bigfoot before we even go there and just drive as close as we can get to the place and pop out and be like, here we are, a surprise, Bigfoot. And (laughs) I, I think that method is my preferred method. I don't know much about the remote viewing side, but the getting there and there he is or she is, uh, it is, is, is my preferred method because well, I, I was a researcher, you know, this kind of going out in the woods thing or to lakes, or whatever, that's a newer part of my experience. So I've lot to, a lot to learn. I, I always kind of believe if I got 20 miles out there in the woods by myself, I'd probably never come back. So pr- presently. Anyway, so a bit of remote viewing would <laughs> suit me right down to the and, ground. And honestly, that's kind of what Jen was talking about when she's talking about, you know, we use what we have and we don't have to go hiking for 20 miles. Yeah. We do this and we use what we have. So, yeah, it definitely is a new technique used out here. You know, uh, it would be neat to find out if anyone else has been using the same technique. Um, so if you have, let us know because we'd love to compare notes. Oh, but for sure. uh, yeah, for sure, really Absolutely. interesting uh, that um, I I'm primarily been looking in the state of Minnesota, where you know I'm part Native American, and we were usually looking on Native American reservations. And, and so I was wondering, am I accessing ancestral knowledge, and would I have the same ability somewhere else where I don't have any ancestor, native ancestors at? And so I was kind of wishing to look at a location that I wasn't familiar with the foliage or the trees or had any ancestors at. And then a, a researcher out of North Carolina contacted me on Facebook and asked me if I could remote view a specific uh, forest for him. And I, it was almost as if he was responding to my wish. <laughs> And and I said, I would love to. And so he gave me GPS coordinates to this particular forest. And I started to look at it and particular areas started to pop up. It takes me a little while to remote view a large area. Uh, what I did, because I, I had wanted to try this out, and they had different kinds of trees and foliage than I was used to seeing. It took a little bit of an adjustment for that. Um, but all of a sudden, I started to see a Bigfoot jumping up and down next to the body of water. And so I, I took a screenshot of the of the map and circled that area, saying there's one who, like, really frequents this area. You could probably spot him right here on the shoreline if you watched it long enough. And then I circled another area. I said they cross the road here a lot, right here. They're crossing all the time uh, because they actually live 
across the road in the forest over there, but they come over to the water right here. And I, I did a whole bunch of screenshots and I'm circling areas and telling them what I'm seeing there. And then he started to reply and he's sending me a video from on the ground at those locations that I was sending him. He said, they do cross the road right there. That is exactly wow. where they cross the road. And I didn't know that, that he had already been researching this area but everything i said he backed it up and it had video in that moment with uh, from on the ground so that was really fun for me to be able to test out an area that i'd never been to and you know i'm in minnesota i'm remote viewing north carolina that's really far <laughs> it is far i mean it, it really is and it's amazing that you get those kind of results as well uh, you, you mentioned your your uh, native american background uh actually your ancestry now i i kind of curious to know, are, are there Native American legends in, with the Ojibwe uh, in your area uh, of these types of creatures? You mentioned the little people earlier as well when you, we gave your tobacco offering. Uh, if yes, which I'm assuming is the answer, what are their names and what kind of descriptions do they have in Native American legends of the Ojibwe? There are different names for the little people and because there's different kinds of little people. Huh. Um, I, I called out to the name Wegwechik, which um, the ones that seem most helpful to me uh -huh. and uh and i always feel like they kind of protect me in the forest for or in the water or wherever i am in some kind of a natural world i feel like they're there um and uh, the bigfoot has different names in the Ojibwe language gichisabe is the the main name um misabe is another is another name it means like giant man or giant uh -huh. hairy man um and gichisabe actually means great true great honesty because they say that bigfoot lives the most honest life that there uh -huh. is uh -huh. and what's really interesting is that the ojibwe uh seven teachings of the grandfathers which is kind of like the equivalent of the ten commandments in christianity uh each one of the seven sacred teachings from the grandfathers is represented by an animal and so like love is represented by the eagle humility is represented by the wolf uh but what was really interesting was that Bigfoot was representing honesty. Uh, so all of the other categories were represented by an animal that we've all known, seen to exist. And then they have Bigfoot representing honesty. So this is a, a creature that they don't think maybe exists. They know that Bigfoot exists. Yeah, yeah. Now that's interesting to me as you know, uh, stereotypically, my perception of Native American uh, or First Nations names of animals or things is uh, that they represent the characteristic of the thing itself. Is that is that correct with the Ojibwe as well? Would that be representative of how they name things? So honesty, yes. it actually represents the characteristic of the creature itself and how it lives in the way that yes. you mentioned. An honest, an honest life compared to how humans live. We don't really live a very honest life in connection with our with our planet anymore you no. know no, but they don't yeah well i i i think that's 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 incredibly interesting especially with the little people you know that's something i think uh, corresponds to fairy myths here in the uk uh, and in europe and i think native americans and australian aborigines and people around the world seem to have a similar version of of little people as well that, that for the most part have similar characteristics worldwide and uh, moving on from that type of thing to cryptozoology itself 
I wanted to ask you both uh, about your experiences in this world. You obviously go to a lot of conferences, you do a lot of shows. So it tends to be a little male centric in this population. Do you think this is more to do with typical gender interests or is it more because it's some type of exclusive boys only club that admits very few women into its ranks? And they can use feel female representatives now full time. You know, <laughs> answer for all women. <laughs> and and I'll answer. I'll answer first because I'm sure Jen, you've got yeah. a wonderful answer too. But I do have to say I was a little bit worried about entering into a pretty much male dominated, um, a male dominated. I can't even say it's a fantasy, but um, a male dominated field. Thank you. Um, so it was a little bit manipulating you know I felt a little bit manipulated there but that was all before I met them I was I was nervous I was scared you know there's so many things that could have happened but what the minute we walked in to these events the first event we were welcomed with open mm. arms like you would never ever expect yeah. and all my thoughts and worries and concerns boom they were gone. Every single person said, wow, you're doing a great job. We can't hear, we can't wait to hear more. Tell us what you're doing. Tell us your stories. And people were genuinely interested in what we do as a group of females. So Jen, I'll let you answer that one too. I think that's a Absolutely. great answer. That's what I expected actually. And it was at the same for you, Jen, too. Yes, I really have been accepted with open arms. And sometimes the guys are even concerned for our safety. We've had quite a few, you know, when they hear that we go out without weapons of any kind, without dogs and without men, they, um, a lot of the Bigfoot researchers in America are going out armed be, for their self-protection, not that they want to shoot Bigfoot, uh, but that there's a lot of animals in the forest that they feel that they could be attacked by and so they want to have it for self-defense if they should need it um, and we've had, and yes yeah. and and wolves and whatever else bigfoot aggressive bigfoot uh but you know when we when they hear we don't go out with weapons there have been a lot of guys that have been like seriously you need to get a gun you need to have this because there are dangerous animals out there and you could get killed and you know some people have really scolded us for not going out with for with with any anything to protect ourselves with since then you know i got a little air horn you yeah. know i have an air horn <laughs> you know jenna you're on mute I was just going to say, I have a whistle too. It's it's a, a hunting whistle. So when okay. that thing goes off, but you know, Jen had mentioned that these other hunters, they were concerned about our safety, but yeah. they didn't only explain that they were worried about animals. They said uh -huh. humans, yeah. we had to worry about too, because we were a few ladies out in the woods okay. and we had to be able to protect ourselves. So yeah. weird hunters out there, gone a bit strange. Overexcited by a few ladies out in the woods without any yeah. firearms. I mean, but luckily, the firearm thing is, is very weird for us. We don't have many dangerous animals here or any really official ones. And nobody has guns. We're just not used to thinking in that, that respect. So when are you going to invite us down to go squatching oh, in your area then? Whenever you like. <laughs> I mean, that's, um, well, that, that was hopefully going to answer my last question, actually. But I think you would really love it. It would be a very different environment. Um, I would probably try to take you guys to some to some more rural areas where there's been sightings, but a lot of our sightings are quite close to towns. Now, that's the same in the U.S. as well. 
um, you know, on the outskirts of villages and, and, and big towns. And uh, even in this area, Surrey, County of Surrey that I live in, which is very green, but it's mostly, there's forests and things, it's mostly rolling hills and, you know, lots of open land. Um, there's been quite a few sightings here. In fact, I'm going next door to Kent tomorrow night to investigate uh, a sighting. There's been several in a place called the Medway. That's a river that connects to the, the Thames estuary near London. And there's been several Bigfoot sightings there in the last few years. Very, very clear. And the, the one that occurred the other week was by a very trusted friend. His wife saw it walking along the, the edge of the horse paddock, uh, which um, it borders a, a, a disused railway line. This is about a 30-foot drop. Uh, we measured, you know, the height of the the dark figure she saw next to the bushes. It walked along. It must have been over seven feet. Uh, the bushes that she said uh, it, it was above. And there you go. You know, it's just one of those interesting things. Now, that's a very rural open area, but it's completely flat. It's just flat and grassy and has different estuaries and rivers running all over the place. But you would love it anyway. And we'd find lots of places to take you. And... Um, course you know we'd um give you lots of english hospitality while you're here as well oh i'd love it i would love to come down there you make sure and let anybody who knows about us that we want to come down oh, so yeah. yes i mean well if the if what i have planned for the beast of britain tv series if, if somebody picks that up at some point i definitely want to get lots and lots of guest researchers in and we could get you guys to remote view some kind of location for us and and try out the technique and just, you know, bring it in, see what we can find. We do have, you know, lots of anecdotal reports here, but very few footprints and hairs and things. There are some, but not many. Now, these close experiences that you've had, we talked about it earlier, with out in the woods, you know, you're out there, there's cougars, there's bears, uh, you don't have any firearms, there's perhaps a few weird hunters wandering around, you know, um, cabin fever. Uh, do you ever get scared? Was there ever a time, well, not with a Bigfoot, but maybe where you thought you had a bear prowling around or a cougar, you know, uh, stalking you? Did, have you ever had experiences like that? Yeah, go ahead, Jen. Well, okay, first of all, with bears, I, I'm not afraid of bears, really. Um, and, and Jenna had a fear of bears, and I, we actually did a whole expedition where we were getting close to the bears. And I'm talking like a car length away from the bears, Wow. And and uh, we black bears, black yes, bears. black bears. That's yeah. what we have in Minnesota. Now these particular bears, I knew that they were because they feed at this garbage dump. They see people and they think, "Oh, goody, they're bringing me more food." <laughs> they don't see the people as food. They are the bringers of the food. It's my waitress. Okay. She's bringing more food. Okay. Um, and so you know, we were able to be outside of the car and Jenna walked right up to the dumpster where one was inside of and she plopped in a bag of garbage that had some Twinkies in it. And <laughs> <laughs> they like Twinkies, was, huh? <laughs> yeah, I oh, even yeah. unwrapped them for the bear. I was like, oh, you don't want them to have to unwrap them. I'm just going to unwrap them. And I told Jenna, I said, please, I said, will you videotape me doing it? She goes, yeah, sure. So I get back to the car and I'm thinking, oh, man, that was so scary, you know, and I was like a foot away from the bear. And I said, let me see the video. She gets it of the bear. I, all you could see of me is my <laughs> arm. I was like, no. <laughs> she went so quick 
exactly. I wasn't ready. I'm like, yeah. And then she just went really fast. And I was like, no, I'm not ready. So this but, is the animal communicator in you. You focused on the bear straight away. You're like, yeah, that's my friend. But look at this lovely bear. And it was a mama bear, too. Oh. She was a mama bear. Oh, they were cubs there? Yeah. And the next weekend I returned, yeah, we were there long enough where at night after the sun went down, we couldn't see anything. So we were really dependent upon our our night vision cameras and stuff like that. And when we look into these uh, night vision equipment, it really messes with your ability to see anything in the dark. So we decided the best thing is one of us used the equipment. The other one was like a lookout. Yeah. That didn't look that didn't look into the bright stuff so that we yeah. could still see in the, in the dark a little bit. And so there was one uh, point in the night where uh, there was a, a bear that got probably, I don't know, six feet from the car before I saw him. Wow. And, and we we're sitting in we we're sitting in there with, you know, the windows wide open and food in the car. Wow. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. But but also but also the next weekend I went back there to get more footage during the day. Cause we, we did a stakeout. We were there all night. All I mean overnight. And I, I started sneezing at one point outside of the car and they didn't even look at me. I mean, they wow. were like, Oh yeah, it's just them. They I mean they'd gotten so accustomed to us being yeah. there they didn't even look over when I was sneezing. They were interested um, in the dump. That's what the yeah, kitty saw. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the next weekend I went back and I got out of the car and set up my tripod camera and I'm standing there and all of a sudden here comes these three baby cubs and a mama bear. Wow. And the baby cubs came in to the area and they just stopped and looked at me and they were like, oh, it's her again. No big deal. And they just <laughs> went on their business and jumped in a dumpster. And <laughs> the I mama they're bear. Bright, they're quite bright, They're quite intelligent. And they're like, oh, it's just her again. You know, and, and so they had gotten to know who I was. And we're we're just like eh, no big deal. We're usually the baby the baby bears were a little more skittish yeah. than the older bears. They, I mean, and there was one point we had four very, very large bears all around us, and and it was it was really really cool. Um, and you were outside of the car. At this point. Sometimes we were outside of the car. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we were inside because it was kind of cold. But yeah. um, but we had our windows open so that we could you know hanging out the window with the equipment and wow. uh. You know, and what was the, the theory was hanging off. out of this dump that maybe, in the same way that the bears are uh, using the garbage for food, that maybe a Bigfoot would come in too? Well, because we had found Bigfoot areas not very far away from that ah. and through the woods, I figured that Bigfoot was probably feasting there too. And so I hope to maybe get something in the dark by by leaving our presence there for so long and getting like the bears used to us being there that we were not a threat. We kind of hoping Bigfoot would think the same way that we're not a threat uh, and just come on in and, and carry on with their business because we're just hanging out. No big deal. We're, we're not bugging them at all. That was our hope. And I think that if we could spend a lot more time there on a regular basis, I think that would probably work. Um, so, uh, there was something in, in back in the woods. I could, just couldn't zoom in on it enough mm-hmm. to get, to get anything definitive. Uh, and we didn't feel like we should be walking back there where all the bears are going. No. <laughs> and it, it was funny because sometimes the bears would come in and they would grab a bag of garbage and they would take it out into the woods. And I'm like, are you taking that back to Bigfoot? <laughs> I was just joking, but. But then there was another time we went uh, we went on an expedition in a state park in Nebraska, 
and uh, we had done a whole bunch of night stuff. And when we were done, we, we were just kind of sitting on a, a picnic table in the dark. And we're just visiting. We turned off the equipment. We're, we're done for the night, right? And all of a sudden, we hear, like a big cat. Wow. And Feet away. Like, yeah. Feet away. Feet away. Mm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I, I, it, it did another, Rawr! and I said, that sounds like a big cat. Get to the car. <laughs> now, that, and that's a, that's a, I mean, if it wanted you, it would have just pounced. So that's a get out of here kind of growl. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so everybody took off running for the car and it has, it was so muddy there because there had been so much rain going on uh, that I almost slipped and went <laughs> face first in the mud. It was, I barely caught myself, uh, but we got mud all over our rental car. It was crazy. Oh, um, but, but that was a big scare. You know, I definitely am feeling very cautious of cougars. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, one of the main things here is because, there are so many big cat sightings, uh, either what we would call pumas, I guess, uh, cougars, or panthers, yeah, melanistic leopards. Uh, there are so many sightings that when I'm out in the woods looking for Bigfoot, I'm primarily thinking, is that, am I going to see a big cat? You know, what's that noise? Could that be a big cat creeping up on me? I haven't been in the attacks here. There's so many, there's so many food sources around. To, for them to even consider human would be quite silly, but still, yeah, it's a possibility. We do know that the, the, they're around at the moment. So, yeah, cougars, terrifying. Uh, those big cats, really, really terrifying. I'd much rather meet Bigfoot in the dark than a cougar any day. I now, agree. Coming to um, coming to your areas of Minnesota, North Dakota, you know, you're primarily researching Bigfoot in those areas. Are, are are these areas home to more than just Bigfoot? Are there any other cryptid sightings around those areas? Oh, yes. I've seen the North American hyena. Wow, really? Yes, yes. I Well, and before I was even into any Bigfoot research mm. or any kind of cryptid research whatsoever, I had spotted this. It was running with a pack of wild dogs on a reservation. And I saw it two years oh. in a row. And every time I saw this, I would point at it and say, that that looks like a hyena to me. That does not look like a dog. And, uh, you know, people are like, oh, it has to be a dog. There can't be hyenas here. Now, I didn't know how big hyenas were supposed to be because I'd only seen them on TV. So I looked it up, and hyenas are supposed to be as big or a little bit bigger than wolves. Mm. And this was definitely maybe, you know, at least half the size of a wolf. Okay. So it was smaller than like an African hyena. But uh, then I ran into a native gentleman on a different Indian reservation. And he said that he had seen a hyena. Wow. And that he called it into the D Department of Natural Resources to let them know that he saw the hyena that must have escaped from some zoo. Uh, <laughs> and so he wanted to report where he saw it so they could go collect it. And they said, there is no missing hyena from anywhere. And he goes, there has to be because I just saw one very clearly. It crossed the road and I had to stop my car. And it stood there and mm -hmm. looked at me and kept on going. I got a very clear look at it. It was a hyena. And, and when I asked him how big was it, he said, well, you know, I said, was it wolf size? And he said, yeah. no, it was smaller than a wolf. And so it, he was describing the very same thing that I saw. And, and then... Yeah. You know, we discovered together that there was such a thing known as the North American hyena that is supposed to not exactly exist anymore. Uh, but there was old native stories of it. 
or uh, that it was indigenous that, that that there was old native stories about it uh -huh. but um it wasn't like a proven species oh yeah, yeah uh so it's it's like that's a cryptid. interesting yeah that's a yeah. very very i've never ever heard that before actually that's a really interesting yeah. sighting so um, I know and, a few people who've seen it that I was like, look at that, look at that, that, that looks like a hyena to it. me. And they agreed, it looks like a hyena. Do you, do, do the Ojibwe have um, um, legends about the Wahila, something similar to the Wahila, that giant, it's kind of similar to Black Shook here, I think, like a giant dog or wolf-like creature. A dog man. Really, really huge. I mean, like pony-sized. Oh, like a yeah. dog man? No, like an actual dog. Um, but oh, a wolf, in fact, I think it's supposed to be very similar to that. I equated it to the black shook sightings here, at least in the way that it appears like a large black dog about the size of a pony. Uh, and I actually had a, a, a sighting, I think, from Washington, actually, that was given to me by a First Nations lady very recently. And she said it was very emaciated, but it was about the size of, of a pony. It was a huge, huge wolf. Wow. Uh, yeah, very, very curious. That was the first time I've ever heard of did that. anything Did anything come of that? Or was she the only witness that came forward? She was, she was driving home at night and she saw it crossing the road um, just in her headlights and it, it just went off. She seemed to, I mean, she told me about it. She knew I was unfamiliar with this concept, but she said it was, you know, she's seen them before. Other people have seen them. It's not particularly unknown, but it's rare. And she said, I felt sorry for the animal because it was so emaciated. And she drew me a picture, you know, the rib sticking out and, and, and whatnot. And the picture just looked like an emaciated wolf. Um, and I often wondered sometimes uh, about First Nations experiences and, and legends and sightings uh, about the concept of the animals that have been described. You know, to First Nations people often think that they're supernatural beings. Or in the case of Bigfoot, for example, another people or just another one of the animals that inhabit their environment. How do they how do they perceive these things? A lot of the native peoples, when they see Bigfoot, they take it as a personal message to them mm -hmm. that there is something spiritual to be that is a message to them. So they usually go see their spiritual advisor to see to interpret that message and what okay. that means to their life. And that's a lot of times why. Bigfoot sightings on reservations by native peoples are not reported to the BFRO or to other Bigfoot yeah. groups because they're they're going to talk to their spiritual advisor, but it never gets reported to to places like us. Now, because I'm part Native American and I'm affiliated with my tribe, uh, sometimes they will come and tell me about things, and I've had some amazing reports. Yeah. Uh, and and there was a a couple an, an elder couple that I know from my mom's reservation up on the Red Lake Indian Reservation in northern Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had, their grandchildren had found what they called a really cool fort in the mm -hmm. woods. It was just a fantastic cool fort. And uh, they were so excited they had gone home and told their grandparents all about it. And, and he said, I want you to show me this fort. So they, they took their grandfather back out there. And he said, it, it blew his mind. He said something had pulled two large trees out of the ground, roots and all, and took took them roots up, flipped them yeah. upside down, and teepeed them together with the roots together. Wow. And he says you, it was there were huge trees. What could pull them out of the ground like that? Yeah. And then you walk underneath that, and you just keep going back into the woods off of this little 
trail that he actually made this trail to go back and collect downed wood for 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 fire um he made the trail to drive on himself so um he says you just keep walking back off the trail there until you see like this hogan structure and i said can you describe what that looks like he said it's kind of like a wigwam a rounded structure but it's made completely out of sticks and trees that are weaved together not tied or nailed or anything wow. like that, but they're just weaved very, very intricately together and very intelligently put together to make this den-like structure. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that there was a doorway, but there was no door. And so when you enter the door, you look in and he said there's a, quite a large area on the ground that for a few cre- large creatures could lay down on. And then at the back of this structure, there was a big hole in the ground that went down into a cave slash tunnel system. that when they when his granddaughters had found this they had gone down in it oh god (laughs) (laughs) and so when he looked down that hole he didn't go down in there but when he looked down in there and realized his granddaughters had been in there he was horrified yeah because he said you know i think we almost lost our granddaughters that day yeah. Because even if whatever built that isn't there anymore, something else could have moved in. And my granddaughters could have gone in there where it was at or gotten trapped down underground. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so he told them very clearly, if you ever see anything like this again, you're not to go anywhere near it. You're just to tell me right away. Uh, but don't go near it. Go, don't go in it. Um, you know, that's very, very dangerous. And this was less than a mile from their house. Wow. And, you know, it's very interesting because Native peoples are very one with the forest. You know, I, as a little child, I was often walking through the woods for miles by myself. I mean, this was encouraged. Wow. You know, this is, this, this was the life that we lived yeah. and we collected natural foods. I mean, I can walk through the forest and pick you up food to eat. Um, I was always out mushroom, mushroom hunting and looking for, you know, different things to put in a salad and things like that. Um, this is how, how I was raised. Uh, and so for a native people to be telling their granddaughters to be afraid of the woods is, is quite unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, it's a serious warning, it sounds like. And I, I'm picking up the, um, the vibe and the, you know, the cultural practices. There, and I think, yeah, definitely that they're telling you that, that that's a serious issue. Well, I think for any father or a grandparent to see a huge structure that would have to take massive power to build out there in the woods very close to your house would cause you alarm because it denotes intelligence isn't it and um and skill too as well as power now guys although we've got to go in a minute i do want to ask you both one final question so i ask everybody the same question if you could search for any cryptid in any country with any three people living or dead and they don't have to be researchers anybody at all and I'll ask you both individually, what would you search for? Where would you search? Which three people would you take? Other than our team? Well, it can be a team if you want to. Uh, like our team or, or other than it our team? It could be your team or anybody you choose. It's like a dream team. It could be researchers that passed on, people you already respect. It could even be somebody you like to have around. Oh boy, so we could look for anything, anywhere, with anyone. In any location in the world, money is no object. Any cryptid, any location, any three people. I have to point out, at this point, I'm not going to pay for this expedition, which you tell me what it is, but <laughs> I can't, I can't, unfortunately. 
but uh, <laughs> I would obviously if I could. But it's not. <laughs> I'm not um, finding out what your itinerary is. But what what would it be? Jen, uh, if you go first, what's your what's your dream cryptid and location with your your awesome, your awesome team of three researchers, living or dead? Living or dead? Oh boy. Um, or both. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you know I'm really into Bigfoot, and uh, I, I think I would want to be looking for Bigfoot. Um, where? I, I, that's a good question. I I love looking for Bigfoot everywhere, um, but we do dream about coming over and, and going out looking with you over in England, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe going to see Loch Ness. Oh um, yeah. Or or the what is it, Bow Nessie? Oh yeah, Lake Windermere. You'd like that, but there's a I mean there's thirty one thousand four hundred sixty lochs and lochs in Scotland, uh, and they're all very close to each other. It'd be spoiled for choice for uh, numerous uh, lakes to visit while you're up there. I, I just think that finding a, a lake monster might be a little bit more difficult than finding Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. More more room to hide, and for sure. I was up there very recently. I was up there in January uh, after a recent sighting. I walked around the whole area, and it was still remarkably pristine and unspoiled. I was in one of the most populated villages along Loch Ness, which has a, a residential population of 600 people. Wow. And that's the second biggest village in that area, oh, apart from the town of Inverness, which is quite populated. Um, and you look out at night into the dark, and this is a, it's a huge tourist area, 250,000 tourists a year. And you see the odd light off in the distance, but it is black. Most of the loch is obscured by trees or the road on, I think they call it the south side, it's the other side uh, you know, that goes up into the hills and skirts around the loch. So it's actually, most of it you can't actually see from the road. You have to be on the water. Um, and there's lots of other locks that come off that That's wonderful. But anyway, I digress, because you mentioned Loch Ness, and that's my, my trigger food. Uh, so uh, who would your team be? Well, I can't go out without Jenna. She's my okay. fearless. She's awesome. my fearless one, and you know she may not think that's the big deal, but it really, really is. And we've gone through so many team members that, to be honest, just didn't cut it. You know, mm -hmm. and and Jenna truly is the fearless one in, in our team. Even though Tammy, our newest member, is trying to fight Jenna to take over the role of the fearless one, so they kind of have a thing going on now that they're they're like, no, I'm the fearless one. Uh, <laughs> so I told Tammy, I got this girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's all you've listen into... you've died once you're afraid of nothing now right what else can yeah. i be afraid of <laughs> i mean come on right i mean jenna goes into structures after rocks have been thrown towards us you know and it's just like i, I can't fathom it i'm like what are you thinking you know but she <laughs> wants to go in there okay fine you know and here's me i wouldn't go in there but <laughs> so amazing well, Jenna, um, Jenna, I'm assuming, I mean, obviously, uh, Jen said, come to, to the UK and, and look for things here. And, and, you know, that is your dream expedition as well. I'd love to make that reality. But is there a particular cryptid you've always had an interest in and uh, in a particular location, you know, like the Orang Pendic or the Almas in Russia or anything else? Or is it the North American Sasquatch? Is that your, your number one? You know, 
when I was younger, the first cryptid I really, really kind of found out about, and I knew about Bigfoot. I had heard about the Loch Ness. You know, I've heard about all those things. But the one that I had really started thinking about really being real was the Chupacabra. And yeah, so I was really interested in that. But now that I've been searching and going out and squatching, I can't think of anything more that I'd like to prove uh-huh. exists than Bigfoot. And as far as people that I'd like to go with, uh-huh. Jen, Tammy, and Jane Goodall. Oh, wow. That's who I'd like to go with. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah, definitely. I know another one that I would like to go with, um, Barry Fitzgerald from Ghost Hunters International. Ooh, okay. uh, he's in Ireland, and he's been researching what he calls the others. And they he classifies them all into one category with that big Bigfoot, the little people, aliens, interdimensionals, whatever yeah. they are, he calls them the others. And, you know, talking with him on a one-on-one situation was fascinating for me. Um, and I think it would be really fun to go to Ireland and, and go out with him and, oh, and see yeah. the things that he's been yeah. looking at and, and experience that. Although he did say that if you go out without any equipment, you have a lot more interaction then as soon as you turn something on, they're just gone. Um, And so, and I've seen that to be true too, because there was one day that I got my first, I first had my monocular, my night vision monocular, and we just got it. I didn't know how to use it. Jenna's kind of our tech girl and she's the one who knows how to use everything. And so she turned it on and handed it to me. And I looked at this bush next, you know, looked kind of at the bush next to me and I saw something there waving at me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how do you make this thing record? And, and, (laughs) you know, and we were seeing little people there. We were, we both saw them. But as soon as we turned on record, they were gone. Uh, You know what? Any detail? Huh? Uh, Could you make out any detail uh, with those little people? Oh, Uh, yeah. (laughs) I have to tell you. I have to tell you what I saw. And at this point, I had never seen anything like this, right? So when Jen and I were sitting there, I had one of the monoculars. And, or was that, which one was, which one did I have, Jen? I think I I had yours. Did I have the the monocular? Yeah. Okay. Needless to say, I had a piece of equipment, night up style. And I was looking at these bushes that was, that, that Jen was explaining about. And as I was looking, I was just kind of zoning out staring. And I thought I saw, like I kept looking and I thought, that looks like a, that can't be. And it looked like a gnome. And I thought, that's so weird. And so I sat there and stared at it. And all of a sudden it went, and I went, oh, I mean, because I've never seen, I mean, he freaked me out. I'm not kidding you. I was like, Jen, oh my gosh, it just moved. And she was like, yep. And I was like, no, you don't get it. I have never seen it move like this. I mean, seriously, it moved so crisp and swiftly. I was shocked. I was like freaking me out at the time. So ever since that, yeah, I know. Those I don't are question. Real. I mean that that's really interesting to me actually. Tell me about um like the height, the description, uh, like skin, hair, clothes, anything you noticed when you saw them because I, that's fascinating. When the one that I saw, he it looked like a gnome. He had the hat, the outline of a hat. Um, you could see. Uh, wait, let me picture him. Yeah, he was just an outline, and I I, I very. 
he had like I could tell he had the nose and uh -huh. the, the beard and I, it's almost like I could see everything but there was like a, a dark cover over him does that make uh -huh. sense like he was yeah. just kind of yeah. there and so I saw detail but it was like covered with dark yeah. and so yeah and he had his pants and his shirt and and oh. his boots and but it was his face and I did that wrong it you know because he was like this that's what it was and then he went and that's oh. when I freaked out that's what it was I wasn't like this <laughs> that like I said before <laughs> no, but, but that's you know so interesting because those tales they're, they're all around the world and um I mean you probably heard of the holder folk in Iceland how in Iceland they believe, even the government believes in these little people so much that they live in these big rock outcroppings so much that they'll even replan roads to go around these rock outcroppings. Um, and they won't disturb like a Holderfolk residence. Now, Iceland's a small place, I understand that. It's a very modern country, very, very modern Scandinavian country. And yeah, sorry, you don't get to disturb the Holderfolk. You have to go around. That's the way it goes here. I think that's fascinating. And we've had those stories here for time beyond count. You know, but you know, it's, it's so incredible, though, putting a story and then yeah. seeing it. And you know what I mean? Me what height were they? What did you say, about two feet? Oh, no. The the one that I saw probably was about three and a half feet. Wow. Okay. Because yeah. so the weeds were about four feet, weren't they, Jen? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure because I was sitting down and next to this these bushes, we we had found some Bigfoot footprints going up this gravel pit, uh -huh. um, and we had decided to cast them, and so we we had cast the ones halfway up the hill, and we realized we need some more equipment to bring the cast down safely from this very steep hill. So, Jenna and I volunteered to stay behind to protect our casts. Well, the rest of the team that was there drove away to get more materials in the only car oh. that we had, and the sun <laughs> was going down. And so I was fine with it until they left, and I started to hear movement in the bushes <sighs> and the trees nearby. And then I was like, okay, um, we were right here where there was the, we got these huge big footprints going up here, and um, we might not be alone here. Yeah. And <laughs> Fearless ones and, again. Yeah. And, and here is me going. Uh, maybe this wasn't a good idea. We have no cover. You know, we have and, no car. Wow. <laughs> and we have a bag of treats. I brought treats like um, granola bars oh, and um, protein bars. And Jen said, okay, that's a new rule because, you you know, we learn as we go. There's always yeah. a learning curve. And she goes, okay, that's a new rule. No bag of treats <laughs> when we're out by animals. So that's definitely well, a new rule. Next to me, she's mowing on these treats. And she goes, you want some? I said, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and I said, if a bear or something comes out at us, you better throw that bag as far away from us as you can get because you smell like treats right now and I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> no, exactly, but, exactly. Yeah. But, but that's this... that's a, such strange consideration again over there. You know, we, you're looking, and, and it's such a different situation. Uh, well, officially anyway, that you're looking for unknown animals that could possibly be dangerous in a land that has many known animals that are dangerous. I was speaking to a researcher that uh, goes looking for Lake Champlain, uh, the chat monster recently. He lives in Florida. And I was asking him, well, why don't you go out in Florida? There's some sort of skunk ape reports and um, I'm sure there's a river monster report there too. And he said it's just too dangerous. There are massive pythons and alligators everywhere. Yeah, you yeah. prefer to travel, you know, several hundred miles to Lake Champlain. 
to um to look for this creature in a body of water. You know, he doesn't harbor a bunch of other animals that might want to kill him. <laughs> so I think it's a very different situation. And um, you know, I would like to get back to the US to do some more investigations in the future. But I think bears that would be my real test because I'm I'm similar to you, Jenna. I'm not a bear fan. Um, I don't like things that can run as fast as horses and dig and swim and climb trees. I think that's um, I don't like those odds. Yeah, but you know what? I think if you were to come out with Jen and I around this area where we were actually hanging out with the bears and just you know kind of just keeping our our eye out and squatching at the same time, I, yeah. I think you'd be really surprised. And I really honestly think you'd be able to um, throw away a bag of Twinkies yourself. And be like two feet away from a bear, but it was kind of scary because when I did actually throw it in yeah. the bin, the bear jumped out. I was like, "Oh, uh, that was the second time." But yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I think you could do it. I could do it. I mean, I can run pretty fast, but I gotta sure. Yo, you'd be you'd be running faster than us, so don't worry. You'd be like out of there. We'd be oh, like, "Oh man." I mean, I, I'm. Famously bad at running. In fact, if you ever see me running, you should also start running. It's a sign that something very bad is happening. <laughs> <laughs> In the anywhere I'm, I'm the slowest one on the team, so I'm always the one who's going to be left behind as a sacrifice. And <laughs> oh, you think that? She always says she always says she's gonna take one for the team, and we're like, all right, all right. Yeah, well, Not really, though. We'd never leave her. Yeah, huh? no, I'm, we wouldn't leave you. I mean. If we had to, we'd be sad about leaving you, Jen. <laughs> we'd feel bad about it, but we'd appreciate your sacrifice. Definitely. Right? Yeah. See? Well, you... The team was running for the car when we heard the big cat going, Row! nobody was like, Jen, come on. They were all for themselves. They were bear-lining. <laughs> I mean, and I always said, if there's a big cat, don't run. Don't yeah. run. Just walk. Walk. Walk, okay. walk away facing them. Don't walk away, in your back. but don't run. And everybody just took off running. <laughs> but I have to, I have to make something clear though, because I, I never get worried unless Jen says, "Oh my gosh, let's go." And she usually is very calm. And she said, "Okay," she said, um, "She goes, don't worry about it. Let's just sit here for a minute," because we had heard some rustling and everything. And after that scream, that screech that we heard, yeah. uh, that's when she said. Get in the car, and then I mean, she made she sounded like she wanted us to run and like freak out and go to the car. And I mean, so we did. We just did How what you told us to do. Car? How far away was the car? Oh, two feet, three no, feet. It was like fifty feet. It was not that far, Jen. It felt that far. Well, maybe it was I mean, twenty-five what... feet. It was probably five feet at most. No, it wasn't. It you was were sitting in the back seat, so. Yeah, I mean, that's a real get to the chopper <laughs> kind of moment, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've always wondered what's going to happen if I ever bump into a big cat out here, and I'm I'm quite I'm quite relaxed about it in one sense. There have been no attacks, and lots of people have seen them now, thousands, in fact, over the last forty years. Um, it, I think they're just pretty happy playing all the rabbits and deer and and boar that we have. They're, they're fine with that. People, we're stringy, aren't we? You know, we're not good meat. Actually, um, and it's a lot to hide. So, well, I mean, I am a bit. I'm not that stringy myself, actually. <laughs> but I'm hoping that they'll they'll think I am. I guess I guess we should probably finish it. But I had the most awesome conference. 
having the best time. Um, uh, just before you go, where can people find you? How can they support you? Um, and you know, you have things like books, you have programs. Where, where they, where can they listen to you talk? Well, we weren't featured in. It's not our book, but we were featured in a coloring book. Bigfoot Explorers 2018, and that's actually our picture of footprints that we found. And at wow. the top of the picture, that little dark, that little dark thing, that's me standing at the bottom of the hill. And uh, oh, wow. those are real footprints. Yeah, those are real footprints. Fantastic. Yeah, they were huge. Bobo from Finding Bigfoot looked at them and at the angle of the hill, and he said, without a doubt, that could not have been a bear. It's just too steep. And it could not have been a man because nothing put its hands down and just walked straight up. Now, Jenna and Nikki, our teammate Nikki, went up the hill next to these footprints, and they were crawling hands and feet, oh. and they were sliding back down. There was, like, no space between their feet. But see, they, it's a it's a coloring book. So there's oh, Jenna okay. and me. And there's like stories of real stories about us on things that we've done in there. But that's I, that's that's I I think that's really fun. And um, is there a link to that on your on your website? Uh, no, there isn't. But when we do events, we have them there to purchase. Yeah, yeah. And so, I'll post the um, links to to your web and everything over yeah. this YouTube as well. SheSquatchers.com yeah. and. I'm going to encourage everybody to go to our Facebook page and give us a like there because that's where we post our most up-to-date information. It's it's the most real-time stuff uh, wow. where you're not going to get any real-time stuff on the website. So I'm <laughs> just saying uh, Facebook is you. where it's yeah. at. Yeah, and Definitely. check out our YouTube channel as well where She Squatchers official on YouTube. Okay. Yes, and there's also a radio show. Don't forget the radio show, Jen. TheJourneyRadioShow.com. Yes, I remember it well. It's a wonderful show to be on, and um, I, I really enjoyed our little chat from there, actually. Well, girl, thank you so much. I can't wait for you to get over here to England and, and take you around. And, um, and of course, we'll do all the typical things like, you know, crumpets and tea at the Ritz in London and all the rest of it. Just around the corner, we'll have a great time. Um, I'm going to say goodbye, but thank you, and, and come, uh, please, please come again soon. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much. Stay in touch. This was so much fun.